Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 363. We got a new mixer. It sounds awesome. It's your fault because you didn't set him up for success. Yeah, you're the captain I mean? of the ship, you know? Yeah, you're the captain of the ship. If if there's not enough silverware, it's not the busboy's fault that he can't, you know, reset the station. If the server doesn't know, you know, how to describe a piece of Arctic char, that's your fault again. Because why aren't you making sure they're leaving pre-ship with that knowledge? Yeah. Um, if the guest is upset... Uh, you should be the first one wanting to hit the table. I hate when managers are like, oh, man, I got to get up from my, my pasta bajoule and talk to this lady <laughs> about her, her wilted salad. Like, you, you really got to drive the dining room, and you've got to put yourself accountable for everything when you can. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, guys, what if I told you I found a menu that's made from paper that's waterproof and rip-proof? This thing is basically dirty-proof. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, get me some of that. Uh, I hate cleaning menus, but... You can have this menu. It's called Terra Slate Menus, guys. You'll get 15% off if you use promotional code UNSTOPPABLE at checkout. So what are you waiting for? Head over to TerraSlatePaper.com. Hey, guys. Would you like to know the exact marketing strategy a restaurant owner used to generate over $36,000 in sales from just $400 in Facebook ads? Would you like to know how a bar owner doubled her Tuesday night business in just four weeks for just $50 a week? Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy of the industry's number one selling marketing and promotion book, Bar and Rest. Restaurant success. This book reveals the step-by-step marketing plan that created these results so you can apply them in your own business. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Xavier Marriott. <laughs> we were laughing so hard about this getting into it. I can't get through. Mary Ez Corena. Did I do it right? Mary Ez Corena. Boom, Xavier Marius, yes, and Tony Aizi. Did I do that correctly? Fantastic. Oh, beautiful. Man, I am so bad with names. You guys are saints putting up with me. <laughs> uh, these guys are restaurant dudes and longtime compadres. Uh, together, they have over 32 years of experience in hospitality and have worked under names such as Bobby Flay and Charlie Palmer. Today, they have uh, they serve as co-founders of Shoebox, the industry's first web-based point-of-purchase service that helps everyone organize their paperwork, understand purchases, and save time. And I almost forgot to ask, are you two feeling unstoppable today? Totally unstoppable. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, cannot. I had some kimchi for breakfast. Oh, man. You've got to be unstoppable after some kimchi. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, man, I don't even know where we're going to start today. I'm totally pumped. Uh, before we do get started, I do have to stop and say thank you. Um, these two guys, on the drop of a dime, like instantly, uh, we were talking the other day, and the first thing they said, Eric, we, we heard about what you're doing. We love it. How can we help you? Uh, and I heard that in the beginning. We had a great conversation. And at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, Eric, you should just ask. One of the lessons I've learned uh, during this podcast is that when you need help, ask for it. And I kind of threw it out there. I said, you know, I'm having trouble. I think it's my mixer. There's tons of static. Um, 
I don't have enough money right now to replace it, and I don't want to have a crappy audio quality podcast. I was like, can you guys help me out with a new mixer? Instantly. Before the conversation was over, the money was in my checking account. So I just wanted to, you know, say, take this opportunity to thank you guys for uh, supporting the podcast and, uh, you know, just being so generous. Absolutely. It was 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 fantastic to be able to support you so quickly, (laughs) and we just love what you're doing. Oh, man. Thank you guys so much. So I can't wait to dive into your story and to find out how you guys got to where you are today. But like always, we get every conversation started with a success quote or mantra. Take it away. Oh, a little mantra. Uh, So I guess my mantra is Hakuna Matata. (laughs) I dig (laughs) it. No, I, I was thinking about this. I think my mantra really is make it nice or make it twice. Mm. And uh, pretty much in everything I do, it's a little methodical at times and annoying, but I try to be as thorough and uh, well-researched in all the things I do. So Some people call that slow. Some <laughs> people definitely call that slow. But, you know, like, for example, if I want to buy a guitar, yeah. I need to figure out everything I can about There's a guitars. lot of research that goes into <laughs> yeah. every decision. That yeah. is awesome. It is annoying. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know myself. Uh, Tony, do you have any mantra you want to share? Or are you, or are you just going to piggyback off what X shared with us? No, I just give me a second to think about it. Um, while you're it's thinking about it, mantra I, changes by the day. It feels like <laughs> I just you know listening to that mantra of make it uh, nice or make it twice totally remind it reminds me of a, the mantra or the the quote that's like uh, if you don't have time to do it right the first time, what makes you think you have time to do it again? Uh, which is a really nice one. I love that. And uh, just taking the it time, always, it kind of goes part and parcel for me with like time to lean, time to clean. So I can't Ooh. get that out of my head. It's like such kitchen lean. speak, you know? Yeah, exactly. Time to clean. Were you just recently watching The Founder on Netflix by chance? I saw that a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Was that in there? It's a line that comes up a few times in that movie. Huh. I didn't, I didn't notice, but perhaps. Good old Ray Kroc. Oh, man. Uh, we can come back to it if you want. Yeah, let's come back to it. Let's come back to it. All right. So uh, let's get your story. I'll bring it back. Well, first, let me ask Xavier, uh, why Why do you do the work you do? What got you into this industry? And uh, what is it that keeps you coming back? Well, definitely, we want to help people in the industry of tech or the industry of the industry. Let's talk about the industry sure. of the industry first. Yeah. All right. Cool. Fair enough. So the industry itself, I mean, it's like a calling. You never necessarily uh, expect to be in it right uh i always wanted to do other things i thought like fireman or center fielder for the philadelphia phillies and uh so my mom got me to go get a job uh my summer after sophomore year and i worked at this cool local mediterranean restaurant and it was there i fell in love with um not only a hostess but just the feel of uh, high energy, cool people, um, and just making people happy has always been kind of infectious for me. So that high was kind of how it started. Making people happy. What is it uh, exactly? Let's pull back an extra layer on that. What is it about making people happy that makes you happy? Well, that's, I feel like I'm sitting on a psychology <laughs> chair now, but I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where you get as much enjoyment as the person you see enjoying something. Right. So it's kind of like my grandma. She, she she would rather feed us and see the smile on our faces than actually have a bite herself. And I don't know if it's um, a personality trait. Well, obviously it is, or if it's learned, but 
I definitely love to see people enjoy themselves. Uh, so awesome. I don't know if it's sadomasochistic or what. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tony? What was it uh, about this industry that drew you in? And uh, I think it, it was as many uh, young cooks like you have all this energy and you don't quite know where to put it. And I enjoyed cooking very much. And I was, I had a, I would procrastinate on absolutely everything. But the first time I was in a kitchen, it was like a 14 hour day. Next day, 14 hour day. I like had no problem like taking to the work. It just propels you through the day. And there's such a, a focus and a structure to it, I think. And also happened to be something I really loved doing. I mean, every job has some structure to it, but this, um, I just took to it very readily. And once I started, I never really looked back. Awesome. So, um, let's try to, I guess, fast forward. And I'm curious, um, how you guys got to where you are today. So, uh, when did you first cross paths? Um, we were working at, I was helping a friend open a restaurant in Maryland and who was the chef owner chef. And X was helping the sommelier build his wine list and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was kind of on in between jobs and I was wondering where to relocate. And I had had my site set on Philadelphia because I liked it and heard too much about it. Um, And I ended up resettling there, but had met X. So when I got there, I looked him up and the first thing he said is like, hey, let's grab some oysters. Yeah, it was a pretty serendipitous situation. Um, I, I had just sold my first restaurant that I had opened. Uh, it was kind of a melancholy time. Bittersweet, though, because the economy just crashed. So I felt like I came out a little more unscathed than I could have. And uh, my buddy Neil up in, in Frederick, Maryland, said, Hey, man, if you're coming back home, we could definitely use some help. And maybe it'll help you kind of reset, right? Yeah. Fall in love with restaurants again. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm not going to yeah. let you skim over that because I feel like there might be a lesson here. Uh, we, I mean, not to say that it's a failure, but there's a, often when we open and close restaurants, there's usually a, a lesson behind that. So what was going on? Was it the agave restaurant? Tequila yes, bar? correct. Okay. So what was going on there? What happened with that situation? What made you come back home? Uh, so a bunch of us friends uh, and restaurant compatriots were working together um, in Atlantic City. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, uh, I guess the curse of loving restaurants is you always want to end up opening one yourself. So, uh, we decided, hey, why don't we open a restaurant? Uh, the first mistake we made was that we opened it in a, in a, in a market we didn't really understand. We went all the way to Dallas to yeah. open this place. It was a new, com- a new complex and we just loved the building itself. But we're like, hey, how come there's no farm to table craft cocktail bars? In Dallas, this is like 2007. Yeah, and we learned that lesson pretty quickly. Like maybe they didn't want it's it. A, yeah, it's a little cutting edge for Dallas, 2007. Yeah, um, I mean, I met some of my best friends there, and a ton of great uh, experiences. Ton of really tough ones too. So, so, yeah. so basically, not doing the market research, maybe not having the roots in place to. Uh, you know, I've heard that you're, you're better off opening a restaurant where you where you have a, uh, a presence where people know who you are because you'll, the the community will come out to support you. Do you think that was an issue that you didn't have that presence? Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, looking back, I, we should have been much more simplified in our concept. I think uh, trying to do too much too fast definitely pigeonholed. 
um, how much flexibility we have. And what was I, the first thing to come off the menu? Like, when did you know? Like, smoked rabbit nachos yeah. came off the menu. And, you know, I mean, I talk about it now. I'm like, wow, I want to try that. <laughs> um, but I th- what, what ended up happening is we started out very ambitious. Yeah. And I guess uh, we wanted to open people's horizons. But I think as soon as you try to change anybody's habits or change their taste, uh, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. How big of a restaurant was it? It was about 120 seats inside and another 80 outside. So full bore when it was summertime or spring, mm-hmm. we, were, we could definitely crank out 400, 500 a night. Do you think you could have pulled off the same vision if you had started smaller and scaled into it? Maybe you get, let people warm up to the concept? Uh, yeah. I think I think definitely starting out with a more conservative menu, um, and and not trying to shove the yeah. idea of southwestern food to southwestern people. Uh, <laughs> when I grew up in New Jersey, eating bread sauce, I should have I should have definitely slowed my throat. Awesome. I Honestly, too, it would have been a huge difference if I had a chance to open or we had a chance to open. In, in our community, right, mm. where people support you, because that's one of the huge lessons, right? You're part of the community. You're part. You're like a hub for um, people to get together and enjoy themselves, make experiences, right? Yeah. When you're not part of the community and you try to force yourself in, um, inevitably you're going to alienate yourself yeah. before outsider. you come back. Yeah, you just stay an outsider. Okay, so you had your buddies that come back up to Philadelphia, uh, and uh, he said he wanted to get you back into the game. Like, what, what did that look like? What's that? I'm sorry. So you, you said your buddy, uh, you, he reached out to you. He found out you're coming back up to the area, and then he yeah. tried to. Was he trying to lift you up? Was he trying to like the you know? No, it was completely selfish. He needed help. <laughs> yeah, he needed help. He's like, oh, so you got a job as a wine director at a steakhouse, and it's inevitably going to be delayed five or six times for a new place. Yeah. Why don't you come crash on my couch and you know? Make my 16-hour days 14-hour days. Okay. So. so this is when you're uh, coming back to work at uh, Union Trust in Philadelphia, and you're doing a little side hustle, uh, helping him before the steakhouse opened? Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly right. And, and Tony happened to be at the same time. You know, That's when we met. Okay. So a little post-shifter. What was, what was going on with you, Tony, around this time? I had just left um, my job as the corporate chef of the Charlie Palmer Group. And I was going on kind of like a uh, sabbatical of sorts. I was going to um, just take six months off and do a little bit of traveling and just kind of figure out what my next move was going to be. And I, I had a friend who had this restaurant opening or it was open already. or It was, it was probably it was a few new. months in. Yeah. yeah. And so I just went down there for a few weeks to same thing, crash on his couch, help him move boxes around, do stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, man. Charlie Palmer Restaurant Group. Uh, some pretty incredible people uh, have gone through that establishment, that that uh, that group. Uh, what have you learned? What did you take away from working at such a, I guess, recognized uh, restaurant group? It's really fun to think back at what was, I guess, now being you know early forties to see what to remember what like the height of cuisine in New York was like when we were cooks yeah. in like nineteen ninety eight. You know, sometimes I'll happen by the old menus and it was like, oh my, we had like wild mushroom fricassee on five dishes and like yes. wilted spinach under everything. And it was kind of funny to um, 
was very interesting to see how much food has evolved throughout those ages. And, I mean, it was one of the top restaurants in New York City at yeah. that time. So it was, uh, it's interesting to see how dynamically the food culture and has, has shifted in 15, 20 years, 10 years even. Um, it was a great kitchen though. It was super small, um, incredibly intense. Like you were a team or you just weren't there. You know, it was a really cool place to be able to. What do work. you mean by that? You were a team or you just weren't there. Like you would, they would kick you out or like, it what? was just like an organism. If you didn't fit, you were just out, you know, it just wouldn't show up. What it, it had to be six people that were working in such tight, tight, um, constraints, you know, you could basically grab everything from a few points in the kitchen. What did it take to fit? What, what did it take from a cook to, to make it in a kitchen like that? I just had to like prove yourself every day. You know, you couldn't get in the weeds. If people had to start bailing you out, you know, yep. soon they stopped bailing you out. Yep. Like you had to, you had to keep up and yeah. help out. And it was about the whole, everybody worked together. You know, somebody grabbed the broom sweep down the line, everybody clean the line together throughout. There was, there was no, um, this is my job and that's your job. You know, from an outsider, I've met a lot of Tony's, uh, Charlie Palmer brethren, and they're all, uh, super nice guys. And, but the thing that I've always noticed is how they all have like a little bit of a, a screw loose, right? They're all <laughs> just a little before. extra with something. <laughs> and I think it kind of unifies them in their love of maybe, uh, Suffering for cuisine. Oh, you say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could see that because it was it was intense. It was very intense. I love uh, the whole idea of like basically if you, you if you couldn't cut it, you'd be weeded out. And I think one one thing I love about this industry is that it forces you into lanes. Like if you're not if you can't hang if you can't keep up with the pack like you're naturally going to be weeded out. Maybe your your role isn't on the line, but maybe you're better suited uh, for emotional and social intelligence you're really great with people so like mm -hmm. you will find out what lane you belong in uh for, for young people who are trying to figure out their shit and trying to figure out where they belong in the world there's like just like a, like a mini culture like a mini society within a restaurant where like you will be forced into a lane of where you belong whether it's you know emotionally with people in the front of the house like being empathetic and caring and just like serving others or just being a, a like a, a technician beast machine like producer of work like you know um i don't know what do you guys think about that yeah absolutely i mean I, i'm glad that kitchens aren't necessarily like that anymore i, I think it was yep. a time and a place that existed um for certain reasons and it was kind of on its way out by the time that i was kind of going through that grinder. the old guard yeah. the old guard you know it was like it was uh, oh the chef yelled at me great i feel like i'm learning something now you know it was like <laughs> it was like self-flagellation to, to work like that all the time. It was really difficult. So I'm, in many ways, I'm glad that that's not really around anymore. Hard work and a good work ethic will always be the paramount of importance, mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't have to take everything. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. all about the right seats on the bus, right? That's what's yeah. cool about a restaurant. Yep. Um, there's definitely people that are better at putting their head down, just making shit happen. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe they're rocking out on broil or saute and, there's definitely people with the gift of gab mm -hmm. and maybe you don't necessarily want them taking the order for a 25, <laughs> but you definitely, maybe they want to go approach the table, special room and sell wine. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, what's cool about restaurants, definitely everybody can play off each other's strengths. Yeah. As long as communication's there. Yeah. yeah. It's all one organism, you know, it's all has to work together. Yeah. So, 
X, I'm curious, uh, what's, what advice do you have for us um, with trying to put people on the right seat on the bus? I mean, being a general manager, that's your role to see the strengths and weaknesses of other people and make sure they succeed. Is there any, is it just a, an eye you developed or are there any, is there any advice you can give us with trying to do that? I, I really do. I think it comes back to a love of people, right? And mm-hmm. um, it's really important, I think, to keep your mind open uh, and put people in a place to succeed. Like, I, I like seeing people do a good job, right? Mm. So um, if you see somebody uncomfortable, don't be afraid to pull them aside and talk to them and see how, you know, you can maybe put them in a more comfortable position. I think a lot of it has to do with training, rep- repetition, um, and making sure that you're consistent with, uh, you know, whether it's pre-shift or how consistently you're going over wines, whatever it might be. But but 100%, it's about um, blaming yourself if that person is not accomplishing their job to their highest level. Yes. And dude. figuring out. Yes. You know Dive I mean? into That's, that. Blaming yourself. Why is it your fault? As the manager, why is it your fault if that person fails? It's your fault because you didn't set them up for success. Yeah, you're the captain I mean? of the ship, you know? Yep. Yeah, you're the captain of the ship. If if there's not enough silverware, it's not the busboy's fault that he can't, you know, reset the station. If the server doesn't know, you know, how to describe a piece of Arctic char, that's your fault again because why aren't you making sure they're leaving pre-shift with that knowledge? Yeah. Um, if a guest is upset, uh, you should be the first one wanting to hit the table. I hate when managers are like, oh, man, i got to get up from my – my pasta bajul and talk to this lady <laughs> about her, her wilted salad. Like you, you really got to drive the dining room and you've got to put yourself accountable for everything when you can. Yeah. So, and you know, just, when you do that, when you have that mentality of just making it right and, and having that right perspective of being accountable, it's infectious. Everyone will see you acting like that and they will in turn become better leaders, leaders themselves. Um, 100%. I love it. Um, so, okay, at this point, uh, this is, I think, the last time, as far as uh, chronologically, we were at Philadelphia, the steakhouse. This is when you guys met. What was that? Uh, how did you guys meet exactly? Well, after we met at the restaurant, I just kind of we looked each other up again when I had reseller in Philadelphia. And from there on, we just kind of started hanging out. Um, helped out with different concepts. We kind of did some consulting around different things which was interesting yeah um all towards building up to open our own restaurant together Um, okay so um when you guys started just what was the first time you actually met like um and how did that relationship evolve into uh somebody you would be willing to go into a business with because i mean there's a lot of trust that you need to have the first time i saw x was at your house the house and uh uh, we're working at vault yeah no we were at and so, I saw so, these like this beautiful pile of Chick Fil A wrappers <laughs> next to the couch, and I was like, "That's my guy." <laughs> I didn't even remember that. Uh, yeah, I mean, Chick Fil A is amazing. They're not even the sponsor of the show, are they? No, <laughs> not yet. Maybe after but, this episode. You know what's funny? I, I always had a ton of respect for all the guys that worked at Bolt. Um, they were so intense. They um, they really gave up everything to make sure that restaurant was great. And going back to the whole Charlie Palmer uh, culture, while I've always worked around people that I obviously respect and what not, I I thought in that moment, wow, man, these guys are super intense, and I liked that level of focus. Um, so, just by association, I had respect for Tony, 
And um, I also thought he was a badass because he told me his plan was to go to Africa and learn how to fly a plane. <laughs> so if anything, you know, great person to have a cocktail with and hear some stories. Nice. You're a pilot as well, so you yeah, know the yeah. jokes. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, once I get my seaplane rating, we'll, we'll go up someplace. I'll come get you. Sounds okay. great. Do it. Uh, so, okay. Um, so what was it about each other that you think, you know, I mean, there's there's a certain level of trust and respect and rapport. And like, I think it was Dave Query who said, you need to look at a partner uh, and ask yourself, you know, would I be willing to marry this person? In the sense that like, you know, when you go into a business partnership, especially in the restaurant industry, like it's it's a marriage. You guys spend more time with each other than you do your actual significant other. So what was it about, I guess, Tony, what was it about X that you were like, this guy, like he, how did he, did he make up for what you're lacking or what, you know, what was his, did his strengths kind of help? Well, definitely like your, shared your values, you know, okay. you like learn pretty quickly. Like when you're just having some beers after work or something like how the conversation goes and, you know, shared interests and values. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also just the division of front of the house and back of the house. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of leads to a coupling right there, yeah. right? It's like not, we were both chefs and we're going to argue over every single thing on every single menu all the time. Um, so there's <laughs> a natural division there that yeah. works together, yeah. right? It's two halves of a whole. Um, and I think you kind of fall into these relationships too. I mean, very well put. You you have to think ahead, right? Would I be willing to, to marry this person? But you never really think that until you're so deep, you're like, how do I get divorced? Yeah. How, how expensive is it going to be to get divorced? <laughs> it's about seeing through those times that yeah. a true partnership is born. So same question for you, X. What was it about Tony that um, made you want to get into uh, a, a business marriage with him? I can answer that. He just saw me as a utensil that could like <laughs> cook what he wanted to get done. <laughs> like, how about if we make this and this and this? You can make that all right. I was basically just his... His, uh, well, let, let's the, start the chef start of his the, the chef thing. of his vision. <laughs> the first thing, which was, he's got impeccable hair. He does have <laughs> a nice set and locks. I'm not gonna lie. That that for me was like, all right, step one. But I mean, real, I, I think at the end of the day, it's um, you know, Tony. Uh, I think was really speaking my language. He um, was open to new types of concepts that were less labor intensive. How do we make um, staff happier with maybe giving them. That's less. a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but like you'd just been coming from uh, a restaurant that didn't quite make it. You learned a lot. I'd been coming out of like a massive job that was like all consuming and we were ready to kind do things different. We're yeah. like, we want to do this, but it's eating us alive. Like, how do we do this differently going mm-hmm. forward? It was more of that, um, it was like a natural. Uh, connection just based off of you know all the trauma we had been through yeah and then trying to think you know this industry love how do we move forward um just not fitting into the status quo i I mean for our staff yeah i think we we both realized that creativity wasn't a business plan anymore yeah (laughs) it wasn't a viable business plan and you know how do we make this so it's something that we love to do that we can stay in the game for you with a long-term vision you know not like, well, I can't wait to like do these cool things on a spring menu, but how do we develop a restaurant that is sustainable, sustainable yeah, for, right. you know, longer than three years? Well, I mean, I think an important thing to remember too is um, no matter what, in any kind of 
partnership or marriage, if you want to call it, you're always going to go through bad times. Yeah. Um, but I think that really builds character. It, it gives you insight into the other person and you have to go through hard times sometimes. Just really, you come out with a, a deeper mutual respect and understanding of how to, um, fulfill the expectations of your, of your significant other. <laughs> I will say this. I mean, Tony and I are, I mean, we, we became really good friends really quickly before we even talked about doing business together. Yeah. So, um, that helps, but that's not everything. I, you know, back to the partnership thing. It's like you have to understand that there will be a time. If even somebody's, it's, it's, you're getting along great, but that person's going through a tough time or they can't make it or they have to go away for whatever reason, like, would you, would you, would, would you eat a shit sandwich for that person? Right. Uh, you know, what? like, if that's yes, then you're already off to a good start. <laughs> Man, that's yeah. love, right? And I'll there. eat anything as long as Cholula's on it. So. <laughs> Good Lord. All right. So uh, we're at like the year 2011, 2008, right? You guys went into business. You opened the the workshop kitchen. I'm looking at your LinkedIn profiles and it looks like that's a common path. Uh, yeah, we kind of – it was a consulting. We just needed an umbrella that we could do some things that were being asked of us um, yeah. for consulting or, you know. Developing menus, doing trainings, helping a hotel open, whatever it was at right. the time. It was an opportunity for us to work together and bring our um, our own expertise to the table, and then offer services to any type of company that needed help with um, whether it was brand development or culinary training or you know reopening, whatever rebranding, etc. So a bunch of odd jobs. Yeah, but it was pretty much exactly that. Yeah, it yeah. was a bunch it of was odd culinary jobs. Odd, odd jobs branded. So. Yeah. Was this the first time you actually were in business together or working together? Because I'm looking at your your LinkedIn profiles right now, and it looks like I think uh, Tony around 2012, before 2012, you're at Charlie Palmer. You're leaving Charlie Palmer, uh, and then you started the side project. Uh, uh, the side project was a, a publication I'd done with it separately. Um, there were these uh, ebooks that we were doing. Um, okay. Uh, as, again, kind of a side project. Okay. I'd worked on a lot of cookbooks before, um, so I knew recipes. I was taking the, my own photography of the dishes. It was kind of a very fun um, way to get some content out there. Okay. Um, so where was it? I guess I'm a little confused because um, you guys – I don't see on your LinkedIn like uh, an overlap in the restaurants that you were working at. Uh, you met at the Steakhouse, Philadelphia Union Trust. Uh, yeah. I mean it's not – it wasn't anything necessarily that was all that official. Um we were crossing yeah. paths a lot. And then we were contracted to open a very large restaurant together. That was going to be our first foray together Correct. officially in restaurants, not just talking about dishes or, I don't know, I'd help with menu planning and stuff like that um, at certain things. But this was going to be the first kind of restaurant that we were going to get into and manage. And that never happened. No. Did the financing? Uh, it's it was Ocean a, Prime now. Today. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big restaurant. We had lots of planning. We had lots of great ideas. equipment chosen. We had uh, plans were done. It was. Uh, what it was year was this? It was our baby. We worked on this thing for a long time. And um, long story short, the restaurant group that I had been a GM for uh, had, you know, had fallen on this beautiful space and. Uh, they knew that I was obviously driven and passionate about opening spot and and uh, they knew that Tony was 
available. My, my number one draft pick, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we went down this path of creating uh, just a really fun environment with a great, you know, great simple food, and we wanted to do just like a badass bar and grill almost. Yeah. In Philadelphia, um, and you know, they decided to, happened, they decided to rent it. Like, yeah, yeah. After everything was done, we always say restaurants are the land of broken dreams. You know, <laughs> like. Every other day, I've got a brand new idea for a concept I want to start, and every other day, somebody else's dream is broken. So, <laughs> well, oh, but it's you know, a blessing in disguise. Uh, it hurt at the time, but um, and that was around eleven, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. And this is when you guys, after that, maybe after your your dreams and hopes were shattered, you decided to go into business together with the workshop kitchen. Correct. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's kind of overlapping there. My my LinkedIn might not be so up to date. <laughs> yeah. Dates. I'm not good with dates anyway. So, uh, at this point, when you guys were both working, uh, 2012, uh, around that time with the the workshop kitchen where you're consulting, um, what was what was on the horizon for you at this point? What was going through your mind? What were your pain points? What were, what was what did life look like for the two of you? Uh, personally, I didn't. I wasn't really working in restaurants because. I wasn't as open to working in any restaurant anymore. Why? Uh, because they're very difficult places. My, I shifted what a restaurant I felt should be what, and what how should a they should be, be worked. I, I think there should be less effort and more reward. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't as willing to just like jump in there and suffer for cuisine anymore. I, I was really, I wanted to do it my way. Um, and I was not, um, what do you mean reward? I'm curious. What, what kind of reward are you talking about? I couldn't go back to doing 80 hours, day, 80 hour work weeks, um, for, to serve people lunch, yeah. you know, it, it just, it just stopped making sense for me to operate it as, um, such a passion. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted it to, like we spoke before, be something sustainable that I would enjoy coming to stop giving up everything mm-hmm. to, to, to to feel this um, this thankless, unrewarding kind of like you have nothing left for yourself. All you do is give everything you have, and then you have nothing to show for enjoyment. So there's a ton of people out here right now, I'm sure, that are listening to this going, I get it. Yeah, like that. They feel like that. So how yeah. do you how do you it's get – very? It's a very – I call it, uh, I call it uh, uh, chicken Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> So how do you how do you get yourself out of that place? How do you get to that place? How do you start taking control of your life, living intentionally, so you can incorporate your passions with actually having some semblance of balance between work and life? It's a it's it's difficult. Well, first off, you always learn the hard way. Yeah, right. That's the sad part about restaurants is uh, a lot of times you are so in your four walls that you forget to like talk to other people who are going through the same thing. Mm. It's almost like there needs to be a support group for restaurant owners, right? It's yeah. called Where Restaurant Unstoppable. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you exactly go. right, there you right? Go. And, and so um, I think number one, if anybody is out there listening to me, I'd say start valuing your time mm. because just because, uh, you know, you know it, it costs an extra 10 bucks to have somebody deliver your food for you, like – who cares? What can you do with that extra time to maybe create like another channel of revenue or something? Or do nothing. Yeah. Or stare yeah, at the I mean, wall and watching TV. Yeah. You know, I think that that's, that's, that's part of it. It's always about 
everything goes into the restaurant, you know, every, every spare bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's nice just to pick up a guitar and learn a song, yeah. you know, or, yeah, I mean, or, or it's, watch a movie. And totally understand that it's easier said than done, right? Mm-hmm. You, the restaurant demands everything. Um, but I don't think there's such a bad thing with sometimes closing early on a night or, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, we're not feeling like you have to do a special every single day. <laughs> so right? there's something huge that we kind of just mentioned quickly. And that was value, like learn to value your time. The most successful people in this world, the, the richest people in this world realize that time is their most valuable asset. It's the mm-hmm. equalizer. We're all given 24 hours in a day, no matter how rich or poor you are, what you choose to do with your time and how you spend your time will determine your success um, and determine your mental health. Really? Uh, so, recognize time as your most valuable asset. I love that. Um, okay. So let's move forward. Um, what I think what I was trying to get at before is like, how did you break from this area of like, I guess, helplessness or hopelessness uh, of just being, you know, just, you know, in despair almost to getting control of your life, to getting creative and creating new opportunities for yourself. I think it was very hopeful, actually. I don't know. It's hope, hopelessness uh, because I was out of that. I, okay. I was done with it. I was moving on. Um, okay. You know, likewise, it was. It was more like, how do we reconstruct this paradigm of what a restaurant is supposed to be into what it should be? So I think that there's a very hopeful, um, yeah, uh, messaging in there for us, and we're still kind of driving towards it, even though we've been sidetracked with different things. But you know, which was born from the same idea of concept of uh, works. You know, works smart, not hard. Um, but it was, I still think there's a tremendous, tremendous opportunity for restaurants to move into being a better business and having a more successful life outside of restaurants for their employees and for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for the themselves. So it was around 2011, 2012, you guys had this idea for Shoebox. Um, dive into that conception and how that came into the picture. It was actually one of the things that, was when we were playing this restaurant, it was like, what are we going to take out of this workday for us that we don't want to do anymore? Like, how can we do less? We've all been there at 1230 at night, like entering numbers into a spreadsheet. Um, and like, this is one of the things that we have to get out. We, we can't keep doing that. So this is actually really interesting. This is a cool transition into the subject because at this time, one of the biggest things that you're coming to realize is that time is your most valuable asset and you're trying to find ways to get more time back in your life. Um, yeah, we were designing the restaurant to actually be a different yeah. different setup for our personal lives. Yeah, we were, we were trying to prototype a new a new expectation from ourselves and from our employees. And how do we keep people doing what they love, right? Uh, like Tony was kind of uh, alluding to, I mean, there's nothing worse than being on your feet for 12 hours. And now all of a sudden you've got like a pile of invoices you got to throw into a spreadsheet. And yeah. literally the, the, the reason you get into this business is because you hate sitting behind a desk. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we're like, that was one of the things we had really scoped out was like, how do we keep, you know, sous chef who's like incredible with mentoring and loves making sauce and can jump on any station and, and crush it. But you ask him to write an email and you like wonder if they ever even went to school. You know what I mean? So like, why, why relegate people to these kind of like mundane tasks that are, are use people to their strengths, use people to their strengths. Yeah. yeah right. 
Um, so we had kind of developed this idea of what at the time was called invoice, invoice angel, angel. Invoice angel. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were left with this concept when the restaurant kind of fell through. And I mean, X was like, what, how it started was we were looking at a bunch of invoices already, right? And Xavier was taking a picture of like a business card or something. And it was populating a spreadsheet and doing all this fun stuff. And we're like, you looked at me. I looked at the spreadsheet. I looked at the spreadsheet I was filling in. We looked at the stack of papers. He showed me this thing about the business card entry, and it was like, "Wow! Like, let's start this." So that's where that started. Um, and then we were left with it when the restaurant fell through. And we're like, "We really have something here for like the industry as a whole." As a whole at so large. X was using some software for a business card. Was it? Was it? Was it Evernote by chance? It wasn't Evernote yet. This was like you know. So this is 2011. So this uh, was like. Um, I, I, I want to say it was probably one of these um, softwares out there that's already been gobbled up two or two or two to five times. Yeah, it was one of those things where I'm like, man, sales guys coming in all the time, and uh, a sales guy had shown me this really cool app where I no longer had to, you know, worry about losing business, business cards. cards. Yeah. yeah. Because in a restaurant, you know, you have the jar in the front, whatever, like free lunch, you know, you, yeah. get, you get a ton of them. And so it was the same kind of idea, like how this automated this thing. Like we need that. We need that right away. We so can- this so this app scanned the business card or and also populated and pulled the data from the business card and put it into a spreadsheet, into like a Rolodex. Oh, address, nice. Yeah, you know. So you're like, okay, that technology exists, new application, invoicing for restaurants. Right. And that's where the kind of the point of purchase system uh, coinage came from. Yeah. It's like we're looking at, okay, the, there's some things that you just use as a restaurant that have been there and work quite well. And, you know, they're all for the fun of the house, but we'll get into that later. But yeah, yeah, they have true. a point of sale system and they have a reservation system. And, you know, there's a clock in, thumbprint clock. There's all this really cool technology happening for the customer facing and for more front of the house applications. But there's nothing to tell you automate how much money you're spending yeah which is like number one on the list (laughs) you know it's like there's literally somebody in a stained apron at midnight on a desk made of wine crates sitting on a glass rack like trying to figure out how much he bought that day after after it's all gone like after it's like at the end of the day use the product yeah so this is a, a this is a technology you develop in hoping to implement it in the new restaurant that never happened. Correct. Okay. And you're like, well, we have this great technology that we're developing. We might as well just take this energy and put it all into developing this, this tool. Now it's around 2012. Yeah. Let's just open it up. Just open it up. This, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it kind of always seemed possible, but it wasn't at the forefront of our minds there. And then it just kind of, the universe conspired to, send us this direction itself. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause I think first and foremost, people who get into this industry, obviously they're passionate about hospitality, food, uh, people, but they're also entrepreneurs. And the cool thing is, uh, this industry is always evolving. There's always, and the cool thing too, is it's always a little bit behind, uh, the technological curve, the behind the rest of the world, as far as how we're leveraging technology. And there's pain points all over the place. Uh, those pain points. Very slow adoption. Yeah. Very slow because there's so much other stuff, more pressing things to do in the day. Take Make the food. Take yeah. care of the, de- the guests. Yeah. That's a number one, and that's 90% of the day. Yeah. Right. But Everything the- else is just like a dust. You know, it's like 
we'll yeah, figure well, that out next year. Restaurants are like the you know an, an ever constant world of distractions. Like yeah. no matter what, you can definitely be sidetracked for two hours mm-hmm. a day. Like, yeah, and, and, you know, and you don't even mean it, right? So be as simple as hey. Dishwasher just cut himself. All right, there goes like an hour and a half of my day. And then plumbing stopped working. All right, there goes another three hours. It's just like you're constantly demanded for attention. So we get it. It's really hard to like step outside the box and took, take a look in from the outside because you're just, you're just so involved with everything. Mm. More pressing things that need to be done right then, right, right away. It's not like other businesses where it's like, yes, we'll kind of continue to clean that up. It's like, no, you've got to do this right now. Yeah, it's President's like, Day. You have off tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, if you think creatively, um, there's always an opportunity to create something other than just a restaurant. I mean, there's, there's if you looked outside of the industry to, to different technologies and wonder how you can apply those technologies to within the industry, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of great opportunity for entrepreneurs who are entrepreneurs as restaurateurs, but could possibly branch out and do other things. Um, oh, and you know, a lot of the technologies that are being pulled to the front or developed are, are not by restaurant um, most. people, which, yeah, most, which we would really like to um, see change, you know, yeah. um, because they're livid every day. They have the good ideas. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that feel the pain, right? They understand what's necessary and what's not. Mm-hmm. So we see a lot of customer facing, you know, customers who come up with, I think it'd be really great if I could make a reservation order on my phone, you know, and yeah. Which is all great. Yeah. Everything, everything adds to the ecosystem, right? But this is, um, you know, all of us are out here, you know, um, putting our time in and, and, and feeling it, um, firsthand. So if there's something you hate about your everyday restaurant life, that's a necessary task. That's your chance. Like you're saying, take an opportunity and, and, um, you know, yeah, if we started something, it literally takes a pen and a piece of paper. Right. It's pretty amazing to see how, what the technologies become and with very humble beginnings, um, and how we continue to develop it. it. It's thrilling. Um, but definitely restaurant people as entrepreneurs and what the restaurant, like that kind of work ethic, that boot camp you go through. Um, creates a very specific, no nonsense, kind of tell your story walking, like very streamlined type of thought process that can work very well for um, building and implementing and thinking through technology. Any kind of yeah, any kind of business. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so I can do anything now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but especially well for the structure that technology kind of represents. I think restaurant people should, I would love to see more people with restaurant experience involved in creating technology for their own industry. So how did you get the funding to start this new project? Was there investors involved or was it just bootstrapped hustle, get it out there? How did you evolve it? Mommy and daddy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, I would like to at this point think, um, I think it was Chase, for um, my initial contribution to the pot. And yeah, and, and listen, I mean, I had never asked, you know, family for anything. And at this point, we're like, hey, let's jump in and do this. And you know, my mom said, yeah, I got I got five Gs on it. You know what I mean? It's simple. You just got to lie, cheat, and steal till you get what you need, yeah. right? Well, once you can tell everybody, it's like, it will, it's a, it's a better investment than your restaurant. <laughs> Margins are much better. Um, uh, but really, it, didn't, it doesn't take as much as you think to get something started. Yeah. Uh, to that's, get, and that's the hard part. Yeah. To what, uh, in the 
popular parlance is the MVP or minimum viable product. Mm -hmm. You can get something going much cheaper than you expect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 I think the most important lesson we learn is just step by step, right? One foot in front of the other. And inevitably your customers or people that interact with your product will ask you or tell you what they want. And um, you don't have to have everything right away, right? Start with the great BLT, make that every day, and then eventually you'll build up to a Reuben, and then you can keep on adding to your name. <laughs> then the avocado goes on the BLAT. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> then you start with the citrus mayo, not the helmets. <laughs> so, where is Shoebox today? Like, how have you evolved this thing over the past five years? Um, you know, to 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 like to say what X was just saying. You know, we just really did it in a very kind of uh, straightforward fashion, one foot in front of the other. We brought the restaurant mentality into it, which was like get assets in seats and keep them happy, you know, keep them coming back, iterate and develop slowly and surely and really take care of your customers. How many you know? assets do you have in seats right now? Hundreds. Nice. Well, users, thousands. Users are thousands. We've got hundreds of restaurants. And, I mean, we, we're so lucky, right? Because um, we've been able to work with some of the best restaurant groups out there. And um, we've been able to consistently build our business um we never bit off more than we could chew we definitely are all about um under promising and over delivering and um it's just as much uh like just as much a service as it is a software platform so um you know a huge break for us was when we were able to start automating all the data entry um that that for us i mean it saves our operators tons of time and um, and you know we're, we're passionate about making sure that they get the best numbers they can get and the best service they can get for the best price. Yeah, and what's what's really great is that people, you know, the the restaurant industry is inherently transient. You know, you'll do your two years somewhere and you move on, and those people are taking us with them. So I, it's it's been very um, rewarding nice. to see that happen. Nice. Um, so what are some of these restaurant groups that are using Shoebox? Um. Momofuku Group uses our uses Shoebox. Lacalum, um, the coffee company. Lacalum, the coffee company. Altamorea Group. Um, Michael White's restaurant group. Yeah. Tra- Charlie Palmer Group doesn't. Really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and I mean we've got great operators in Philly, like from Vetri Family to Michael Scholzen, and we've got guys out in San Francisco like Jardinier. And we just uh, got our first group in Hawaii, so we're trying nice. to we're going to book a trip out there yeah, on the company dime. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back and write down those restaurant groups. I'm going to try to see if we can't get the people talking about it on the show. Um, cool. And man, I'm curious. So, I'm, do you ever have aspirations if this thing does really take off even more than it has to take some of that earning, some of the stuff that you've you know, the money that you're earning from this project and reinvest it back into your original passion, hospitality, like maybe opening restaurants. Is that the vision or what's the vision? It's definitely like, it's, it's, a, hard, it's hard to stay away from the needle. Yeah. It, it's, it's like a manic depressive uh, <laughs> restaurant outlook, right? Like one day I'll be like, man, I can't imagine ever working in a restaurant again. Like if I ever have to care about a dishwasher calling out <laughs> ever again, like I might have to slap myself in the face with a piece of bologna. But you know, on the other hand, it's like, you know, Tony and I still, like last night we made this, well, Tony actually made this awesome dish, like uh, some roasted halibut with uh, piquillo peppers and shishitos and asparagus and stuff. And I'm like, man, we've always had this um, this love, the shared love for Basque restaurants. Have you ever been to a Basque restaurant, Eric? No, I haven't. 
All right, so it's a super cool idea, right? It's um, in the Basque country, they have what, what's called like these gastronomic societies, right? They're kind of like little country clubs where like everybody in the neighborhood can kind of sign up for it. And long story short, they, they pretty much do a standard menu, right? They might do two different appetizers, um, a salad, and then simple. super simple stuff, right? It's almost like ad hoc, that style, right? Where it's like a few dishes in each kind of genre, and that's it. That's the menu. It's like a set menu every day. And we've always thought, how cool would it be if, like, you know, it's almost like cooking a high-end banquet, right? Like, all right, we're going to do one fish dish, one lamb dish, one salad, and maybe a couple things to start. But when you sit down, it's like 30 bucks, and everybody gets the same thing. And guess what? There isn't like a, you know, can I substitute this for that? There's not that many choices. It's Is about- it like family style or buffet style? Yeah. yeah, family style. Well, exactly I think right. that the future of restaurants and why this comes in, I actually grew up, there were a lot of Basque and Reno where I grew up, and I, that's another point of connection. Yeah, uh, my family the, is bad. Yeah. yeah. So where restaurants are really going to start to excel is when the convergence of table service and um, uh, commissary type comes over, yeah. or what's it called, catering. It's like catering and restauranting have to kind of come together for a better business plan. That, that's really kind of what we're always driving towards. And that's that kind of new restaurant paradigm when there are fewer choices, more set prices, higher quality, higher quality, easier to manage and easier to assemble um, for a better quality, yeah, for a better absolutely. quality experience all around. I think that there are too many choices out there. Uh, there's too much prep. I mean, a lot of people don't understand <laughs> that to have, 10 apps and 10 entrees on a menu and a hundred covers on the books, you have to prep for like 200 people. To and make and sure guess as to what you think they're probably going to order. Right. There's a, there's a lot of craziness that happens and overwork that happens. So that- the original question was, is there another restaurant on the books for you guys? And it sounds like there's some, some juices <laughs> flowing. Apparently there's some, there, it's still in there. You guys we are- have a, we have a book <laughs> of concepts. We, just yeah, we actually do have a book of concepts. One of, one of my favorites is Al Andalus. Remember that one? Yeah, that's good. It's like a study of Spanish food from the uh, from the um, from the Moors down in in, in southern Spain, kind of like that Arabic uh, crossroads between Spanish food and all that stuff. There, I mean, listen, we're going to end up opening other restaurants. That's the sad part. As much as <laughs> as much as, uh, as much as you know, I I love my life today and appreciate my time so much more. Um, there's nothing like walking into a restaurant and there's just a hum of of hospitality and fun and the music's going and you smell roasted garlic in the air. I mean, there's nothing like it. And there's nothing like that Campari and soda at the end of the night after you just got your ass kicked. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, definitely end up something. Yeah. Whether I'm like the full-time chef, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think uh, it would be more of an owner owner operator the the beautiful thing about what you guys got going on is um i mean the biggest lesson one of the biggest lessons i've learned in this industry is you can never have enough capital to get started and when you have that capital and you guys both have the back of house the front of house experience now um being able to just take what you've what you've earned and be able to invest it into some somebody else's vision or you know or to mentor into i mean that's what yeah. that's what we do. We evolve. We learn as much as we can. We take what we learn. We pass it down to the next generation as owner operators. Um, and you know, and we we give these skills to the next generation of people. I, I can totally see you guys doing that. They're never um, gonna have to do paperwork though. I almost want to make them do it. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it the hard way. First. This is the way I had to do it. Yeah. 
Give me your phone. No calculators allowed. (laughs) Awesome. So we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, but real quick, I don't know if you guys have noticed, and hopefully if you're listening to this at home, this mixer is killing it right now. Uh, Everything is like going smooth. I just can't say thank you enough. Okay, quick time to go to break. We'll be right back. We've all been there. I'm sure you have been uh, just going through that stack of menus every night, pulling out the nasty soiled expensive pieces of paper, putting them aside, throwing them away. God, it's so frustrating. This is a line item that just gets the best of us. It destroys our budget and people are so freaking dirty. It's like, ah, Anyway, what if I told you that I discovered a piece of paper that's rip-proof and waterproof, 100% rip-proof and waterproof. This stuff is so durable, it's what the military uses to print their navigational maps and charts on. Like They trust this stuff, and now they're printing menus on it. Head over to TerraSlatePaper.com to learn more. Guys, I'm telling you, this stuff is durable. I've seen the owner, Kyle Ewing, Throw this menu through a dishwasher to prove its durability. Again, TerraSlatePaper.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-S-L-A-T-E Paper.com. And if you use promotional code UNSTOPPABLE, you will save 15% on your first order. Get after it. Yo, guys, so if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely a restaurant or bar owner who wants to be a better leader, who wants to make more money, who wants to be more successful, who wants to work smarter, not harder, and you just want to be great, which means you know you can never stop educating yourself. If that sounds like you and you want to learn how to attract more new customers and get a competitive edge over your competition, sounds pretty good, right? Then you need to listen to this message. You got to listen. Just ready for it. Here it is. Leading industry expert. Nick Fosberg and past guest of Restaurant Unstoppable wrote what I believe to be the best how-to book on attracting new customers and creating highly profitable promotions on a shoestring budget. And because you're Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, he's going to give you this book not for $30 on Amazon, but you're getting it for free. Yeah, free. Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy. Again, that's freebrsbook.com. Get your free copy while supplies last. All right. We're back. And the first question I have for you guys is what is your it factor, habits, traits, characteristics you believe contribute to your success? Let's start with Tony. What's your it factor, man? It factor. um, Focus. Man, I, get- I, my, I, I'd say my it factor is grit, right? Being able to stick through something. That's not your it factor. His it factor is, you know, daydreaming, <laughs> personal happiness. Per, okay, so for Tony, I got focus. What are we going to settle on for uh, Xavier? I would say daydreaming is a legit it factor, though, because. You need that person. Every group needs that dreamer, that thinker, that idea guy. Uh, it's fun to be the dreamer when somebody else has to get things done. <laughs> well, I'll dream, and uh, you could say, uh, uh, you know, daydreaming, creative thinking, and, and chorizo could also be my factor. But... Daydreaming. <laughs> daydreaming. I don't know. That's thinking. a tough one. It's hard to say. That is tough. I think it's more like, you know, what I should say my factor. I should say yours. Yeah, I should say yours. Hair. My hair. Samson. Oh, my God. All right. The next question I have for you guys, what is your biggest weakness? Starting with uh, Tony, what's your biggest weakness, man? Uh, I was going to say procrastination. 
Um, uh, lack of focus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my biggest. I don't know. That's a tough one. Uh, how about we answer for each other? Okay, that sounds good. You give me my biggest weakness. Uh, um, I'd say your biggest weakness is um, patience. Patience. I would take that. Okay. And uh, Tony, what's Xavier's biggest weakness? Time management. Boom. Boom. All right. What is one piece of, of advice you guys have for leading others? For meeting others? Leading others. Leadership. Oh. I mean, it really, for me, you have to lead by example. I know that's a, that's an old chestnut, but you really have to show up and show that you can do the job as well. Awesome. Yeah, I'd say for me, it's empathy. Um, just being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes is so important for leadership because uh, if you can have a better understanding of what makes them tick or what keeps them focused or what just drives them to do a better job, how you can incentivize them, then um, I think it's, you know, you have to pull at the right strings to get people on your team. All right. What is a current challenge right now? And this is going to be interesting because you're not currently in the restaurant industry. The same. Yeah. What is your current challenge right now? Um, balancing time and money and running a business. You yeah. know, if you're running your own business, I think there are, those are kind of the forever challenges of what do we spend money on next to further which thing next. It's really just kind of balancing expectations versus reality. And uh, I, I'd say that is, is, a, is a big challenge, right? It's, um, is is living up to the constantly evolving expectations of your clients and, and mm. guests and customer. Um, that's, that's, I, I, you know, a hundred people you ask, what would you like us to build next? And you get a hundred different answers. Yeah. So prioritizing our, our resources is definitely, uh, you know, can be a, a big challenge. All right. What is one thing? Actually, we'll skip that one what's one book that's a must read to become a better leader or a restaurant professional? I don't know about the leadership part of it, but probably the, one of the best restaurant books I've read is the last night at the lobster. You ever heard of that book? I haven't. The la- what's it about? It's like the last night at the lobster. <laughs> the red lobster. It's about a manager who has to close down the red lobster. I just found it so insightful and entertaining and, just struck the right chords of what it really is like to be in a restaurant. It's not constantly like uh, glorified. Yeah. Um, and it also kind of showed me that a restaurant is a restaurant is a restaurant, whether it's fine dining or a chain restaurant, we're all kind of doing the same thing. And that book looks like it is on audio. So you can get this book for free. If you do not already have an audible account, head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. I don't know about you guys. Do you listen to audiobooks? I do not. I don't drive that much. So. I've been getting into it more. Man. It, more. Just because it's it's great when you drive or you're traveling or yeah. you just want to zone out, right? Uh, man, it's such a great way just to keep your mind fresh and uh, to make the most of your – even when you're prep cooking in the kitchen or doing anything that you don't need – 
like where you can just kind of get into a zone and listen. Like it, it's just a great way to consume content and to improve on yourself. But anyway, again, audible. Okay. I'll yeah. check that out. I haven't read it in a lot while, so it'd be cool to give it a listen. Oh, yeah. like I said, audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Hook me up. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> Got it. Uh, all right, cool. So uh, what is one piece? Okay. This is, we're going to come back to, I think shoebox here, but what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant and how is it Im- improving uh, operation. So dive into real quick why we should, uh, I guess, look into Shoebox and how it will make our restaurants better. You know, it's really that missing piece as we saw, um, you know, coming from being in that industry, there was so much automation happening everywhere else. Yet the back of the house is left in like 1840, uh, t- getting scraps of paper and like handing them to your accountants every week or every month or, or FedEx mailing them across the country. There's so much craziness that happens in chasing this paper, um, which consolidates it all, gives it, gives it access to everyone who may want to see like, how much did they spend on scallops last week without making three phone calls and getting yeah. faxes back? It, yeah, one of the things I hated the most was sitting down for a P&L meeting. And they're like, well, how come How come your uh, dairy cost was so high, you know, three months ago? And I'm like, I have no idea, dude. <laughs> why don't you tell me why repair and maintenance is so high? Because I don't remember spending that much money. And then the famous last words would always be like, oh, we'll get back to you on that. Now there's none of that, right? You hop on a cloud. You have daily reports with all your with all your numbers, what you spent, every invoice cataloged for you. And if you literally it's as simple as like, hey, when was the last time the hood cleaner came? You can literally hop on your phone, look up the last time the hood cleaner came and when what they charged you. So, so you, you, you can like tag it, like you can like tag like hood cleaner and it's like basically yeah. like type in hood yeah. and then like exactly. that invoice will come right up. We calculated uh, we usually kind of just ask people how much time they're spending doing bookkeeping, you know? And some chef, like the highest paid people in the restaurant group, the executive chef or the general manager are usually relegated to this task. And they're spending weeks out of their year yeah, at Most- a computer doing redundant data entry. Yeah. It's insanity. And when we think about the hours that we've saved our customers, it's hundreds of thousands of hours that they can concentrate on Anything Ma- training, yeah. uh, guest experience, yeah. you know, m- breaking down the walk-in effectively, yep. making sure that, you know, people aren't walking out on time. The, the hundreds of things that other things that have to happen to close down a restaurant, like they're now able to do and go home earlier. Yeah. You know, it just, oh man, like again, time is your most valuable asset. Um, yeah. What you do with that time, this is time that you could spend now, you know, training up your staff, empowering them, teaching them how to think, what to do. So you don't have to be there all the time. So they can, you know, so you can take a weekend off if you want to and know that your ta- your team's got it because you had that time to empower them, to train them, to be there with them when you're not just sitting, you know, jamming papers into a machine or whatever. Finding out you yeah. spent too much money two months ago. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, cool. that, yeah, sorry. No, do you want to add something? Well, I'll tell you the worst part about Shoebox is that, The the thing about developing a solution for somebody is that it becomes your full time job. So now all we do is paperwork. (laughs) paperwork. (laughs) There's some irony there. So be be aware of that if anybody else wants to develop their own solution. Uh, With all the knowledge you have now, if you could go back in time and provide yourself with one piece of business advice, what would it be? Buy shares in Google. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I would um, I would definitely have been much more open-minded technology 
if uh, I wish that I wasn't so food and wine everything, and I and I had a little bit more of an open mindedness to learn either about coding or even just a, how to build a website. Like it's almost like coding is becoming becoming the new Spanish. Yeah. So uh, the more that you can expose yourself, I wish I I would have taken that more seriously, either in, in high school or college, and and uh, made it more of a hobby and less of like a an inevitable I have to Pick learn this one day. I would, you know, for me it's similar, but you know, developing a restaurant and thinking about a restaurant as a, as a cook, you all start from the menu first, right? Like, what's the menu going to be? And you can, you know, go on and on about what the menu items are going to be and what the your intentions of this dish. First, get a lawyer <laughs> and an architect. You know, so much has to happen before you open a restaurant. Like, we could, you can build a menu with two friends and a six pack in an hour. Like, that's the last thing you need to do. <laughs> All the crazy things that have to happen before it even gets to printing the menu are what you really need to. Um, uh, create infrastructure for before you get to that the actual cooking. Cooking's not a problem. You know how to cook. You can do it blindfolded. Business is the problem. Yeah, you know it's one of the things. Don't don't be afraid to invest in a lawyer. And the other one that comes up a lot is a CPA. Uh, find people yeah. who are good at what they do. Get them on your bus and then put them in the seat and let them do that. And, and they're going to catch things that you would have missed. That you know, it pays for itself. It pays for itself. Uh, it, you see, yeah, you see them like consulting and stuff. Usually, they need a consultant when they don't have any money left and they have to like figure yeah, things out. That's a good point too. I think a lot of people don't look at. They think that if you go to a consultant, it means that you you're doing something wrong, and it means you you can't figure it out on your own. But the truth is, consultants, even the most successful restaurant groups continue to go to consultants because they get that new, that fresh eye, that new perspective. And they, they, I mean, it's, it's so hard to stay on top of everything every day when you're running a restaurant. If you have somebody whose job it is to stay on top of the industry, you know, and uh, that can provide that crucial advice. I mean, the best restaurateurs surround themselves with consultants and experts. Uh, yeah, that's so great. I mean, and it is exactly consultants and experts that, can guide you on the business yep. aspects of the restaurant are hugely important. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what is one question I could have asked you that would have brought more value to uh, today's conversation? Maybe something we were, or you hoped we would have discussed that we didn't get around to. What's for lunch? <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like this has been great. Yeah. Uh, I don't I'm trying to think if there's a question um, maybe what was my favorite job and why? Mm. What, what was my favorite restaurant gig I've had to date and why? What was your favorite restaurant gig to date and why? My favorite restaurant gig was my first sommelier job. Before I ever got into GMing or director of ops or any of that stuff or owner of a restaurant, I had landed the best gig ever, which was kind of like, an hourly gig where I got tipped out by staff and I got to go in, talk about wine, not have to worry about anything except serving wine, making people feel happy, updating the wine list. And like, it was the happiest job I ever, I got to go in at four o'clock, leave around 11 o'clock and just crank out wine. And it was the best. Uh, so I, I miss that. I, I miss think that a lot of people left job. wine on the, on the tables. This which, which, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> People definitely left a little, uh, we used to call it the Psalm tax at the end of the night too. <laughs> and uh, for you, Tony? 
Um, I had a, this, this is an interesting question because there's different times in your life you like things more. I did a stint on a cruise ship, which was pretty cool. It was really fun. I got to kind of basically consult with them on their operations, build these menus. It was crazy complex because they had to change the menu every day. It was like spreadsheet mania. Um, like try to come up with 21 different consommes. It's and you can't run to the store. Like you can't run to the store. <laughs> so, oh. but it was fun. We kind of like I'd get on in Alexandria, Egypt. So I get okay. to spend a few days there and then cruise around and make these dinners. And it was really kind of exclusive small cruise ship. Made a lot of great friends there. Got to travel around the world and. Yeah, we'd go into port and I'd be able to go off just for the day in Italy and find some cool restaurants. It was really That is uh, one beautiful uh, thing about this industry. If you're good at what you do, man, it's a it's a passport, it's a free ticket to like almost you can do it in the world. Anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's you awesome. It's an international language, you know, you can really everybody eats. Everybody yep. eats. Awesome. Uh awesome. So those are all my questions. Uh you guys have been so great. Uh we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you think is just crushing it, who who gets it, who would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Well, um, I've got two. Uh, one person I've been um, following has been a longtime customer who I've been um, ever impressed by his growth has been uh, Michael Schulzen. He's the owner of Sam Pan, and um, he owns uh, Graffiti Bar. He owns uh, Double Knot um, and Harp and Crown uh, Independence Beer Garden. So he's he's slowly but surely growing these really um, well developed concepts that are just cranking out numbers and are super high quality and. And he's a shoebox customer. And he's a shoebox customer. <laughs> so uh, I've been really impressed just by the quality of, 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 of product he's been able to put out while maintaining, um, you know, while doing it as a business, right? It's not just like a, a chef's poem. It's, it's, it's literally a great balance of high quality and volume. So I've always been super impressed by how he continues to grow and the concept he's, concepts that he's been putting together. That was Michael Shulston? S C H U L S O N. Michael Schulzen. And you said you had a two? Who was the second person? Uh, the other person is um, is a guy named by the name of Cliff Edgar. Um, and Cliff is uh, just a dyed in the wool restaurant guy who's um, you know, grown up in the industry. He was he I think he, he cut his teeth at just like a local bar in um, in, in, in Boston and, you know, he's all about creating regulars and I've really never seen somebody so good behind the bar and he, he finally opened his own place. It's a, uh, it's a craft cocktail and fried j- chicken joint down in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, he's just doing crazy business, man. He's got a super simple menu that focuses just on really good fried chicken. And, um, he's got a great chef in there, but it's like, it's it's the beauty of um, simple is or simplicity is the highest form of elegance. You know what I mean? I just love how you get in there. Uh, anybody knows exactly what they want to have, and you can have a great cocktail. And it's like you know a dive bar meets a really fun food experience without pre- pretension, but really a big big focus on high quality ingredients. Awesome. I think that's a super cool kind of uh, 
convergence of, of different ideas and things. Michael and Cliff, and I can't uh, go on without li- allowing you, Tony, to name somebody. If you have anybody, I don't want to pass over you. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, I have a friend who I've been recently reacquainted with um, who is working on a farm out in the North Fork. And he's like this classically trained Francophile chef working on a farm, making some of the best charcuterie anywhere. And it's like very humbly on this awesome farm in the North Fork of Long Island. And I'm just so happy for him. He's doing exactly what he wants to do. And he's like living the dream. Man. Um, uh, Julian Shapiro. Julian at a Shapiro. farm called Eight Hands Farm. Um, and it's just, he's, you've never seen such farm to table. It's literally from the outside to the he's, inside. He's his own pig <laughs> yeah. Wait, so is he, is he he's cows. working on the farm. Is he just making this charcuterie like, and then selling it retail? Yeah. They have a whole retail thing. They just started a little food truck. It's just, it's nice to see somebody doing it for the right exactly reasons. what they want. Yep. And that's dude, that's success, man. That's if you get to show up and do what you want every day and feed yourself. And he's doing this like <laughs> charcuterie from like uh, you know old classic old school charcuterie. I, I don't even know if people understand what they're seeing or, or, or getting. It's tremendously successful, but like try to find a great pate on croute. It's not that easy. He's like knocking it out of the park, like okay. with pigs on the farm that's so cool cool. man that's what it's all about awesome uh michael cliff julian look out guys i'm coming after you i'd love to get you on the show and uh just one more i guess final uh way we can connect with you if we are interested in uh saving time invoicing and organizing our paperwork what's the best way to learn about shoebox Shoebox.com, go to the website. C H O U X V O X.com. We got a little too clever with the name. It yeah. means oh, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was, like, I didn't get it at first, but then I, I went through your website and I learned it. I think it's an incredible name. Try to get an accountant to think it's awesome. It's- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, or we should have named it invoices to go.com. But right now it's shoebox.com. Well, uh, it. And you can reach out through that or. Tony uh, at or X, just X at shoebox.com. All right, this is episode 363. I'll link back to everything that was recommended today on the show. Shoebox, uh, the emails to these gentlemen. So if you want to connect with them, you can. Uh, Set over to restaurantstoppable.com. Again, 363, episode 363. Guys, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to come on the show to share your story, to share your advice to share shoebox with us and uh, the special thanks for uh, this mixer donating to uh, restaurant unstoppable. That mixer, it helps me out so much. And this audio is working beautifully. We solved the problem. Shoot me a shoebox sticker. I'm putting it on this mixer. So anytime I go to a restaurant and they ask me what's shoebox, I'm like, Oh, you got to check it out. Um, oh, that's cool, it. man. <laughs> Thank you, Eric, dude. It's been a lot of fun and keep doing what you're doing, man. It's really important that, uh, we all lean on each other in this industry to continue to get better. Thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor. All right. That's it. Cheers. Thanks. Take it easy, guys. Tony and X, thank you guys so much for coming on the show, sharing your story. Um, great stuff. And so many little nuggets in here uh, about I mean, where do we start? I think the advice we had on finding your partner, choosing a partner was great uh, the the emphasis we put on time management and you know that is so key i think we for 
we forget about time being an, an asset. Time is such an asset, and it's the people who make the most of their time uh, that can do the most, that can be the best, and there's so many tools out there that can help us make the best use of our time. Shoebox is one of those tools, and I'm so pumped uh, that these guys reached out to me, that they connected with me, um, and so I can share this resource with you. Uh, and there's resources all over the place, and that's one thing I hope to start doing more here at Restaurant Stoppable. Uh, these resources that are out there that people are recommending, I want to bring them to your attention uh, so you can start uh, opening up to technology and not shying away from it, not being intimidated by technology. I mean, yeah, we don't want to automate everything we do in this industry, but there's little things we can automate, little things we can make smoother to get back time so we can be that mentor. I mean, the truth is this industry is so competitive now. There's so much more we have to do today that we didn't really necessarily have to do 20, 30 years back. And it, and it sucks the soul out of us. It doesn't have to be soul sucking. There are ways to leverage technology to get back to doing the work that you love to do in the first place. Shoebox is one of those tools, so do go check it out. Again, this is episode 363. Hopefully, we can start making examples of other companies out there and other resources. It's the direction I want to go in with the show. Um, and yeah, like always, guys, if you're finding value in this podcast and you're learning from proven successful people and you want to hear the stories and the advice and to gather more knowledge from other successful restaurant tours, put them on my radar. Who's in your community who's crushing it? Who's somebody we can learn from together? Uh, let's get them on the show. Put them on my radar. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E, and Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. And keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They really do help validate uh, the, you know, that social proof that this podcast is helping people. So share your thoughts with us. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's it for today. Thank you guys so much for sticking around this long. And until next time, peace out.